Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to Monday Second Captain Podcast. It's a bank holiday Monday in this part of the world. I hope you're using your day off productively. And by productively, I mean catching up on your backlog of World Service Podcasts. If bank holidays aren't designed for you to sit around on your own with your earphones in, then really, I don't see the point of them at all. Murph's gone the whole hog and taking the week off, Ken, so it's just myself and yourself. Yeah. You ready? It's a very long weekend for Murph. I'm ready, Al. What have you been up to this weekend? Have you been sampling the cultural delights of this fair city of ours? Um, Going no. further, a little bit further afield to experience the beauty that Ireland has to offer on long, lazy weekends such as this? No, I don't. Um, Saturday, I had to work. Sunday, I had to work. And today, here I am at work. Ah. So it's kind of the opposite of Kieran, really. <laughs> yeah. He's going to. It's not all work, though. Uh, Weren't you at the Liverpool game? I guess you could describe that as work. Well, I was. I was there as, a, as an accredited journalist, indeed, rather than a uh, a ticket buying one of the fifty one thousand ticket buying fans. Fifty one thousand. Fifty one thousand. Yeah, huge, huge crowd. I mean, basically full of Eva Stadium uh, to see Liverpool beat Napoli five 0 Napoli. You know, a friend of mine who went to the game said, you know, it's like, uh, you know, Napoli's manager now is Carlo Ancelotti. Mm-hmm. And it was as though around, you know, one o'clock that afternoon, Carlo had gathered his players together and said, guys, listen, I know this great place for lunch. And Napoli had gone <laughs> and, uh, and really pigged out. And then, oh, God, we're, we're playing already. It's time to play. So it didn't really, uh, it wasn't much of a contest. Napoli's version of the Harry Ramson fish challenge that time yeah Car- Jack Charlton brought the Irish lads on yeah Car- I mean Carlo was you know fairly unconcerned obviously it's only pre-season doesn't matter that you lost 5-0 I mean it was 2-0 after 8 minutes uh, and then there was um, a long period of not much happening and then it was I think Salah scored just before the hour and then he was taken off and then Sturridge scored and Moreno scored so uh, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of Liverpool goals. Yeah, I mean, Alison Becker made his debut. Yeah, looked good. Well, he 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 looked fine. Um, it wasn't as though he had a whole lot to do. Uh, 
But what was notable was the were the wild cheers that greeted his first few touches from the crowd. And I felt so sorry for old Carrius. Carrius there. Carrius was there. Oh, I mean, no, no. I saw it because I'd seen him in the warm-up. Uh, Safe hands? I, well, I just, just, I mean, it's, I'm not going to say I always sit and watch. I mean, some journalists do that, or at least claim that they sit there watching the whole warm-up just to see, you know, are they switched on? Do they look switched <laughs> on? And I sometimes, if I'm feeling very dutiful or particularly big match, might make some effort to do that. You know, can I... But actually, it's it's quite difficult to tell if a player is switched on based no, on what it's, you see in the It's warm-up. usually retrospective. It's usually yeah. after the game, yeah, I watched the warm-up and really, you know, mm. X team just looked more pumped up than Y team did. But I did see a bit of the shooting practice r- routine, you know, where like it's like a, a right foot shot and a left foot shot from the edge of the box and across from the right and across from the left and... You know, the the player has like four quick goes in succession, and my God, Gary, oh, no. <laughs> it's like he was just standing there. It was like, you know, I don't know if 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 it was if it was sort of a, a holiday setting, mm-hmm. and like one of the dads never played football in his life, but <laughs> somehow he's been he's been roped into playing this game because you know the kids the kids are playing and he's and they goal. need another body there. He's yeah. just standing there and the ball's just going past <sighs> him. He's not it's like he doesn't even know he has to get the ball. And that's what it was like. Uh I thought, okay, maybe there's just some really good shots. You know, maybe maybe he's just been left rooted to the spot by all of these shots that arrowed past him into the uh, into the corner. But it well, it didn't look great. But when Allison, you know, Allison was there and, and Touch the ball and the whole place like yeah, Allison, and uh, I just thought poor old Carrius. But you know, I suppose it's a tough world, professional foot. It's a tough and unforgiving world. Well, I know a club that he could find his way to in the next little while before the transfer window closes. What's that? Community Shield runners up Chelsea. They're, oh. on the, they're on the hunt for a goalkeeper now. Courtois says he wants out. Well, it looks like I mean, this was the okay. So Courtois has only returned from his holidays today um, because the World Cup final was three weeks ago and Courtois played in the third place match, which is a Saturday. So he's just had three weeks off and now he's back and it's like the season starts on Friday. Um, but he has already been saying that he wants to leave uh, and his agent a couple of days ago was saying, look, uh, this isn't about money, although Real Madrid are offering him way more. This is about his children. Are these real children or is it the child inside of him? No, his actual, his actual offspring, okay. his progeny, yeah, yeah. who live in Madrid uh, with their mother. Uh, he wants to be closer to them now. Well, that's, yeah, that's legitimate. Well, go yeah. play for Real Madrid, be with your family and earn more money. It's not, it's not, that, not that unreasonable. Well, it's all, that's, that's how it looks from Courtois' point of view. Sari was saying, I'm not interested in what the agent says. But once the agent sort of says this, it does mean that the only way that Courtois can stay is by... Cruelly disappointing the little Courtois. You know, I'm sorry, daddy's not coming home. Uh, Chelsea have offered him a bumper pay increase. <laughs> I do deeply love you, but, you know, when I retire, we'll have plenty of time to spend <laughs> to spend together. That's kind of the only thing that he could do to stay at Chelsea. So given how much of a family man he is, that was always going to be a difficult position for him to take. So he is gone. It looks like he's gone. Yeah, I mean, the 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 suggestion, or Christophe Terreur, certainly the Belgian journalist in England, was saying that uh, he's told them he wants, he's, he said, I, I want to go. But as for Hazard, that he's going to stay. Hazard's situation is a bit different. He's got two years left in his contract, and Chelsea only have to, like, Chelsea could replace Courtois. Replacing Hazard, you can't do in, like, four days. I mean, 
okay, they could miraculously, they could, you know, buy a winning lottery ticket. It could happen, but it's not likely. Um, if Hazard was to go, it would have, they would have had to sort of set the wheels in motion, I think, some time ago, and Chelsea really didn't want to do that, and it seems that Real Madrid didn't really want to do it either. So he's now going to be there for probably another year. But then he could be in the position of having only one year left in his contract and having played a brilliant season. That's the point at which everyone else might be more interested. So at least uh, they get to play with Hazard for one more season. We're just four days away from the start of the Premier League season. Don't forget, people, our Premier League night with Gary Neville takes place this Thursday night with our World Service members grabbing all the tickets. We're going to broadcast the show with Gary on Friday and this with thanks to Cadbury, official snack partner to the Premier League. To hear all our shows, make sure you become a member now at secondcaptains.com for just five euro a month. New month, new Premier League season, folks. Now is the time to join up. So you spent your weekend at a football match, Ken? Mm-hmm. I mostly spent it watching sport too, even while attending a music and culture festival in Dunleary. Oh, you you mean, uh, well, what, what did you watch apart from hockey? Uh, I watched a bit of the hockey. The Galway Clare match was thrown on for people like me who can only truly enjoy a festival safe in the knowledge that they don't have to sacrifice their sporting fix. <laughs> there's, oh. a game, there's a big game on. That's being shown somewhere, right? So I do feel a little bit bad though because it was on, it was being projected onto a, a wall right beside a cookery demonstration being given by James Kavanagh. Snapchat King, oh, yeah. brother of UFC coach John Kavanagh. Mm-hmm. The match was on mute so that James could do his thing unhindered, yeah. which was all working fine until Claire mounted a really exciting comeback, only to throw it away at the end. So the more dramatic it got, the more animated the crowd watching it became, which must have been made for a strange background noise for the, I don't know, three billion people watching this cookery demonstration on James Kavanagh's various <laughs> social media channels. I will say the pesto pasta he was cooking up sounded absolutely delicious and quite easy to make. What so, was it? Pasta... And pesto? Well, you see, again, I was, I was only half listening again. Yeah. I was trying to watch the hurling, but the food sounded so delicious that at, at times my attention wandered. So I'm yeah. going to look at some James Cavanaugh recipes right now again. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. You, show. Make something, make some use out of the rest of Well, you can, you can tell me what you find in there. So I don't well, miss <laughs> we'll be talking about Galway's win on the World Service tomorrow. We'll also catch up with the legends of the Irish women's hockey team tomorrow. Unbelievable silver medal for them. They're currently in the middle of their homecoming celebrations. So... We'll wait for those to die down a little bit and have a proper reflection on the World Service. As for the Gaelic football, in the last couple of days, Eamon Fitzmaurice finished as Kerry manager. Donegal gone, their first defeat at Bally Buffet in 22 matches. Galway have got what they wanted, if Murphy's to be believed, by losing to Monaghan and landing a semi-final against the Dubs because, you know, you don't want to play them in a final. Murph's not here to defend himself, but that's not going to stop me bringing this up again in conversation in a little while. As for Monaghan themselves, epic scenes as their fans invade the Pierce Stadium pitch to celebrate making an All-Ireland semi-final for the first time in 30 years. Here's how they called it on Northern Sound. The flights are being booked. I see Nudie on the phone telling them to get the flights booked from America. Get home here, lads. We're heading to history. We're heading to an All-Ireland semi-final. We're heading to somewhere we haven't been in 30 years. We're waiting for the long whistle. There's going to be a pitch invasion. Maliki, the team are all surrounded by the supporters here on the sidelines. I see the Stewarts trying to... It's over! It's over! Trophies today, but there's a bit of history, Nudie Hughes. Sean McCaffrey, Nudie Hughes, and Frank Brady roaring into your ears there. He thought he was getting a bank holiday off, but not in this professional operation <laughs> we're running. Ushin, thanks for making it down today. All on his things. It's good. Yeah, things are things are well, things are good. Mike Quirk, thanks for chatting. No bother, no problem. We will start with you. I think Mike is the big story. Well, maybe Monaghan fans would disagree with this, but the most sensational story over the weekend was Eamon Fitzmaurice resigning and having a few inter- interesting things to say. What's your reaction to his decision to step down, first of all? 
it, it probably didn't come as a as a huge shock, to be honest. Now, maybe, maybe the time of it, you know, in the in the immediate aftermath of the game, caught people a little bit by surprise. But um, there's kind of been this undercurrent of of you know a bit of disgruntlement with with the whole management team. And it's kind of been building and building. And, and since the Galway game in Croke Park, I think it's got a little bit kind of out of hand down here. And, and people have been more brave about, about their kind of, you know, criticisms of the management team. And um, and I, I, I didn't think the guy, I, I didn't think he was going to continue on, to be honest. But I, I just was, I was surprised that he, you know, he came out so quickly with it after the game. Quickly after the game and quite strongly as well. He says, I think by taking myself out of the equation, it can remove some of the over-the-top negativity that was coming at the team, which I feel was unfair. I was a lightning rod for that criticism and negativity, which if you're a young player is not, not a nice environment to try and develop yourself. What are the specifics here? Like I heard Colin Cooper saying that there were there were scurrilous remarks ma- being made about Eamon Fitzmaurice. We're kind of outside the county, so we're only getting a vague sense of it. What, what kind of stuff is being said? Yeah, I, look, I, I, do you know what? I think the genesis of this whole thing, and, and like it went back to when, when he decided in his first kind of executive order was to close down Fitzgerald Stadium to, to carry supporters that they weren't allowed to go into watch training anymore. That's and not, I, that it, can't be that. I've heard this brought up. Uh, but I, do you know what? I think it's the, it's the genesis of, of his kind of fractured yeah. relationship with the carry supporters, you know? And I, I know that was six years ago, but it was like he was the guy that broke that kind of, that, and, and I, I fully agree with that decision. I think it, it was long overdue to carry did that, but that was the thing that, yeah. That kind of this guy was a little bit different, and he didn't kind of just go along with the Kerry supporters, and he he went against him, and and that that was an initial thing that kind of pissed him off a little bit, um, and then I think there's there's the thing where like the Kerry footballers were never as maybe closeted or, or cocooned away from their clubs as they have been under under Eamon's tenure, and uh, and again you can see reason why, and he wanted to to work on his own stuff, but they have never played less football games, I'd say, uh, you know, until until he came in, and and that pissed people off on the ground as well, you know, and. And then when and when then that just leads to you know harsher criticism of some of the decision making that came out. How harsh? You know, how, how nasty was the stuff? It was it scurrilous. It was nasty. As like says? it was nasty. It was personal stuff. It was away from the actual you know the the, the decision making in terms of like, like take Mark Griffin on on um, on McManus against Monaghan. You know, like I, I, that was a very strange call, and and you and it's fair and open to actually kind of say, look, I don't agree with that. That's a crazy call. But but people were going over the top on on social media and forums and um, and and this idea of sending letters, like sitting down and actually writing. I didn't even think people wrote letters anymore. And 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 now they're sending guys letters, abusing him and and saying that he hasn't a clue. And and you know, he was walking down the street in Clarny. Somebody told me a story. He was walking down the street in Clarny after the game with with his family and stuff. And and some couple of guys started booing as he was walking down High Street. And clarity mm. like that that's that's outrageous stuff and i mean i i know and, and people might might believe but like fitzmaurice isn't getting uh you know what what other managers maybe are getting in other counties in terms of financial backing under the table he's not that's not coming to him and Kerry. like that's not that's not right. how they're doing their business and he's he's essentially no he's a sponsored car and whatever you want to say he's essentially a volunteer like and I just think, like, fair enough, you can criticise decisions that are that are out there in the public domain that you see and you don't agree with, and that's no problem. That's part of the gig. But Jesus abusing the guy and, and sending stuff to his home, like, that that should be just completely off the table for anybody involved in sport. Well, do you think he was right to come out with this stuff? Um, I think he, he did deserve criticism. He did deserve, you know, a lot of the criticism that were coming at it, but if, if Mike says that it... That it that he, that I got personal and being you know, I don't think anyone deserves yeah being no on no I, th- I think I think from an analysis point of view the criticism a lot of the criticism I heard was fair enough but this stuff here that we were all I suppose unaware of um and there's no like 
I'm not the only person to say it. There's no place for it, and and uh, and if if that is the case, I'm sure he's glad to be out of it. You know, not just uh, to be honest, he 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 was a figure that looked under a lot of pressure over the last couple of weeks. Um, I think he was f- fair to say he was flabbergasted by how poor they were against Galway, and he arrived in Monaghan with the look of a man who was under severe pressure. And I'd say at that stage, in his head, he had his mind made up. Um, and then it was just confirmed by, you know, things going against him. And I'm sure, you know, even at the weekend, he thought, you know, we will be Kildare, and they go on to do their job, and, and, and you know, go away. Yeah, Monaghan go down there and, and win when... To be honest, a lot of people would have fancied Galway to be able to pick them off. So we probably started to feel as if things were going against them. But there's no place for you know the, the personal criticism. You know, walking down the street and somebody and crowded boys booing. It's like, amazing you know? how quickly you can turn, though, isn't it? That we've been talking to Mike during the summer about this amazing young Kerry team and how dangerous they are and how they do have a big shot at winning the All Ireland this year. It, it was seen as the season that he has brought in the young players, and it's all for nothing now. But for Eamon Fitzmaurice, it's all for nothing. Maybe there's a there's a decent legacy there for the next manager to build on. Yeah, maybe the, maybe and maybe that's the key. And and it's 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 really difficult to read people uh, on. But I felt he he was a pretty upstanding sort of lad that wanted to um, wanted the successor to um, to inherit as good a team as he could have, having blooded some of those young lads. But I would say that. I felt, as far as blooding those young lads were concerned, I didn't think he had much choice because mm. you know I think, you know what I, what the other stuff that we'd seen or the other players that we'd seen just didn't seem up to it. These guys are definitely up to it all. And it's just going to take them a little bit of time. I mean, it is ridiculous that that David Clifford has come in and they already seem totally over reliant on him. <laughs> well, n- not just yeah, totally over reliant on him and and looking to him and that. Someday, God forbid, he doesn't get one seven yeah. or one six. You know, is is he is he liable for the same sort of criticism mm. at nineteen years of age? You know, it's it's uh, it's mad. But I don't think he had any real choice. Only take those players in. But when he ta- when he took them in, he seemed to be able to nurture them, and he seemed to be able to um, ease them into the into the uh, into the fray. All except for Clifford, probably. You know, he did play Clifford on one leg during the league at times, and and maybe you know that was a time to just to leave the guy. So these guys need to be managed now. If they're not playing club football, then they need to be playing club football. And you could see that there was a little bit of a lack of sharpness, you know, with them because to be fair, you know, the Munster Championship hasn't helped them in no. any way, shape, or form. When you look at the legacy that he leaves and the job that he did, more to the point. Uh, Mike, the 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 unfavorable way to look at it, and people have said this, is that he got a lucky enough All Ireland in twenty fourteen and never really built on it. Now I'm not sure about that. I don't understand that argument about twenty fourteen. I mean, for me, they got to an All Ireland final, they pressed a kick out and scored a goal from it, and and won the game. I don't know really what was so lucky about that, but certainly they haven't been back to that level since. Overall, how how would you rate the job that he's done? Like I, I suppose it should it should be it should be noted in answering that question like that 
that what I'm talking about is a, is the tiniest tiniest minority of 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 Kerry supporters. You know, this is not a it's probably not a it's not a, a widespread thing that everybody is is abusing Fitzmaurice. But there's this there's this kind of hardcore edge that that just uh, have probably gone past what's what's kind of right and fair and 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 are the ones then that are are kind of demeaning the All Ireland in 2014, saying it was a lucky All Ireland. There's no such thing as a lucky All Ireland. Mm. If you if you're beating Mayo in a replay uh, after two games and then you go up and and, and you beat Donegal in the pomp with Jim McGuinness. There's nothing lucky about winning in All Ireland, and 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 to try and diminish that is is very unfair on the guy. Like, I mean, six Munster titles in a row are fine. Look, and uh, you know he's not going to get any credit for that because now Munster is is has dipped in the last in the last couple of se- seasons can significantly, I should say. And then and he beat Dublin obviously in the National League final last year. Like for any manager, like that's a fairly that's a fairly decent decent haul over a six year period. But it's it's probably the it's probably the decisions that have 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 cost him in terms of big substitutions or you know game management that he's maybe seen as this has been a flaw or a weakness of his. But is, is, and, is and that again, fair? Is that fair, sorry. Mike? Would you? I know obviously uh, it's, you, it's, you know the guy, and maybe it's, it's harder to criticise. But... To, to put it all on his feet, to be honest, you know, I mean, he, he's got he's got four selectors with him who are who are kind of skipping away from this thing, uh, pretty pretty much scot free. And obviously he's the name over the door, and he's the guy that the buck stops with. But at the end of the day, all these things are are, are a group decision, and and. and and calls that have been made have been a cumulative effort by the management team, and and I think they all share in that kind of responsibility and blame. But uh, he he's he's done plenty right for me. I, I I think you know he will be remembered in time when when all this stuff passes as a guy who who took on a job in 2014 when absolutely or, or before that when nobody wanted it six years ago like there was nobody in Kerry putting up their hand to say yeah I want to take this team because it was looking like it was going through a huge lull and a huge transitional period without without much kind of hope in sight and he took the job and has now left it in, in a much much better place than, than when he took it and I think that's that's pretty much all you can ask of any yeah. of any guy taking over a team, you know. I, I take the point about the maybe selectors not getting the same sort of criticism, but in 2014, everybody was hailing Fitzmaurice as a managerial genius. He was getting all the praise. That's that's maybe more indicative of the manager, the cult status of the manager within Gaelic games, yeah. and maybe they don't deserve, deserve in general, or yeah, and you know, you certainly exactly you do take a, a huge amount of plaudits, but like really as a manager. You know, you're as good as as Mike says as the people that are around you. First and foremost, uh, as a manager, you're going to live and die by the by the way you decide to play football. And I, I never felt with Fitzmaurice from that All Ireland that they had one definitive way to play football, and they switched and they changed. And this year was another example of that where they weren't quite sure. And that left for indecision, and it looked as if that left that uh, you felt there was a little bit of indecision then on the on the field. So again, that's just you know cold hard analysis of of you know the the feelings to like the the glaring thing was not playing a sweeper against Monaghan, or certainly you know especially not having Griffin, Mark, McManus. I mean, and for the let that continue for thirty seven or eight minutes, you know, would suggest that not just Fitzmaurice, but whoever is Fitzmaurice's man in the stand, whoever that is, that or standing beside them on the sideline, that surely at some stage somebody, somebody, you know, takes the opinion and says, listen, let's change this a little bit quicker than it, than it was, change it after half-time, turn the game, you know. As for Monaghan, 
they definitely do have a plan, have had a plan for a number of years now. Yeah. And having just said that there's too much status attached to the manager, isn't Malaga O'Rourke a genius? <laughs> Which he seems to be doing unbelievable stuff. He, do, he does unbelievable stuff. Um, he is so measured, very, very conservative <laughs> in his approach to the Gaelic football. On if you've watched him uh, for the last uh, three or four years, you will realize that. Like they are quite easily read in that you know what way they're going to play. You know at the start of the game for 10 minutes or maybe five, maybe he is condensing it so he's less conservative, but for the first five minutes of the game, they'll let you have the kick out so they can get their shape and then slowly but surely they'll push up and then all of a sudden it's full court press. But the rate at which those players can get back and do you know what? I give him a little bit of criticism last year for the fact that McCarthy, McManus, Carey were not all playing on the same team. We sat here at the start of the year at Maliki Clerken and we give you two or three very good forwards who are young, who could make a serious difference. Mm -hmm. He's been hesitant (laughs) to introduce them. Whether he's saving one of them, I don't know, for maybe for next week to throw them in. But, uh, so who are these guys? R- well, well, us, well, who you want to see? David Garland is is one who you know probably should have got game time. The probably the rating was on the wall whenever he didn't get game time against Lakes of Waterford and Leitrim. Do you know? And and I just think that uh, the chances of him getting any game time now are slim. But this guy is special, and he we he proved to be special. But he's just not fitting into that team right now so he's not going to throw him in because that's what he tried a couple of times with McCarthy last year Mo- two most important players to him Dermot Malone and he's only got his uh, come back in I know he's struggling a little bit with injury he's only come back in from the Galway game and making Espy mm. and they sum up because balls lost back in shape five across the half a half back line sweeper uh, who's usually maybe Darren Hughes or sometimes Neil Cairns uh, he's been a massive find for them as well. Who play in between the 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 full back or the half back lane, the full back lane. So there you've got it. You've got three, one, five, and you try and break that down, and you do that. You do that as your parallel. But um, they also have their limitations. You know, they also have their limitations. But I think he's made the best of the group of players that he's that he's had. Even though I think they're overdue getting to an All Ireland semi final. And uh, he surrounded himself with good people. Ryan Porter is a top-class coach. Yeah, they're there now in the semi-final, though, Mike. And they're facing another Ulster team, albeit Tyrone are going well. They're, they're putting up big scores. Would you th- would you feel that it's possibly an advantage that they're playing against a team that they're going to be familiar with? Uh, I'm I'm not sure really. No. I, I don't. You know, I, at this stage, I don't know if they really care who they're who they're playing a bit because they're 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 so comfortable in in what they're doing. I mean, it was it was like you know she made a the point there about Kerry that they don't. Sometimes you don't know what you're going to get from different. You know, every game, you know exactly what you want to get. And and the number one building block with them is is this savage, absolute, just crazy work rate and and tackling and and real like it's they're like a, a group just so incredibly motivated by by Malachi O'Rourke that they keep giving you every single drop that they have every game. Um, and and on top of that, then like they've just they've like they've this lovely little knack out around that middle of the field, 45 anywhere between two 45s 
where they, they go down with fairly handy enough contact and all they're doing is calling up Rory Began and knock over the ball from 60 yards. It's it's an incredible weapon. The f- referees are much more lenient to give a guy a free out around the middle of the field than they are in around the 21. And and these guys have a weapon like that we haven't seen with the kind of range that he's kicking the ball over the bar. Uh, and I, I just think, look, it's their first semi-final in, in 30 years or whatever it is. You know, there is, there, they had more supporters at the game, I'd say, than, than, than Galway had. Uh, and they're just really rolling, and and you know what? I it, it wouldn't shock you if they if they went ahead and and, and beat Tyrone and got to an All Ireland final. And you know what? They know what they're about. They're really good at what they do, and and you know they'll take a little bit of stopping. Your open body buffet for Tyrone's win against Donegal really powerful, particularly in the last twenty minutes or so. Fans are pretty cock a hoop. I understand. I've never seen segregation like at really? match before. Uh, the top end of the field, right in the in the top corner, was the Trum fans, and everywhere else was Donegal fans. But uh, there was an unbelievable atmosphere before the game. There was a lot of people there who obviously didn't have tickets and didn't really care. There was the biggest screen I've ever seen outside Jackson's Hotel. A lot of people congregated there for the hurling, and then on to the football. But um, there was a serious buzz around it. Now the the match didn't live up to it because. You know, it, it wasn't great, but towards the end of the game, like, the, the game, uh, so I thought the, the turning point of the game for me was that, you know, Donegal, uh, thrown looked comfortable early on, Give then they give away the goal, that sort of turned it a little bit. Donegal come out after half time, kicked two points, and you thought, mm. look quite comfortable. I mean, they'll just probably keep, you know, they'll keep Tyrone at bay and they'll keep kicking a, a score here and there. Three teams that got up the field. Frank McLean, Ray McHugh, Michael Murphy. All had men running off the shoulder to pierce that uh, thrown defence. And they were leading by four points. And they started to... They stopped and they give the ball backwards. And at that stage, you could see that Donegal were really trying to be conservative, really trying to hold on. And Tyrone were just relentless. He's just going to kick on. But t- Lee Brennan turned the game. Mm. I mean, <laughs> I remember picking this guy out Three years ago, uh, I was working with the BBC and they asked me for one player to watch. And I said Lee Brennan. And they all looked at me. And he, he didn't. <laughs> he played about three minutes that whole year. But uh, He's been a slow burn then. Yeah, but no, but eventually he's come around. He's had a brilliant league. He just gives them something a little bit different. You're not going to replace Stephen O'Neill and Peter Callum and these boys. This is the closest thing I've seen to it. He's very, very comfortable on the ball. He's very, very comfortable in give him any situation. And he's very good off the ground. Tyrone, again, at halftime yesterday, were two from five from free kicks inside 45. That's that's come back to bite them now for five years. And and Brennan has come in, more or less sorted that out. Morgan is hit and miss. McCallisey missed a few vital ones yesterday. And then they had a free kick towards the end of the first half inside the 45. And they all refused. Nobody really? come. Nobody come over, and they kicked it backwards. And uh, the ref it went sideways, and the referee gave it up. Now that's only a small thing because when you look at all, all the overall picture of how you know how strong the runners they have, and how strong those runners are, how comfortable the likes of McCann, Tierney McCann, Colin McCann coming off the bench, uh, McClure. Keon McGeary made a serious difference to them yesterday. Conor Milo went off with an injury, so he's probably the ready-made replacement. But Milo just did the job yesterday. He just he just shadowed McHugh for the whole game. Who's your early fancy for that semi-final? Oh, Jesus. Um, too early in the week for you? <laughs> no, it's not too early in the week. But I, 
I just can't get it in my heart to say ever say it's wrong. So I'm gonna go mono. <laughs> Good that you're not carrying any biases. <laughs> yeah, into no the, baggage. No baggage at all into these into these chats. Murph has his wish, Mike. The dubs in a semi final, so it's all plain sailing now for Galway from here. Jeez, I thought of him yesterday, man. You're kind of saying this guy is obviously he's more clued in than I thought yeah. he was. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. It, they they just looked like they looked it, it like it looked like they were throwing a game. You know, it, it was just it was obviously strange. And Kevin Welch's comments after the game obviously didn't didn't any didn't illuminate anything like that. But it's just I I can't understand why if if they did deliberately take their foot off the pedal and and uh, and, and just say look you know what we'll take it and we'll take a shot at them in the semi final. I, I I don't understand the the logic of it from their point of view. Uh, now it's easy for for Kevin Wells to get him up for a game, but I mean. Jesus, you're hardly going to be having to get up, guys, for a, for a semi-final, no matter who you're playing. So I, 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 I just don't know. But they just looked so lethargic and leggy, and and they were like a team. Look, that we know we've already qualified, so don't, we don't really have to be at the at the hundred percent pitch of this. But they really just played. I'm just not sure if that thing is going to have a little bit of a legacy for them next week. No, you'd imagine they'll come out against Dublin 100 miles an hour, and we'll see the kind of real intensity and tackling and hard running that we've seen all year from them. But um, I'm not sure. It just, it just, it, that eats away at your confidence when you get beaten. Like they got beaten really comfortably yesterday, and uh, I, I'm just really not sure that, that that was a that was a smart move if it was something that they've done deliberately. Owen, where do you think Morph is today? Uh, somewhere around Bavaria. No, that's no, what he tells me. Anyways, no. on holidays. Part one of the plan has been successfully <laughs> implemented, <laughs> and he's now down with Paddy Tally, and they're talking about how they're going to take down the dubs. Also, Murph is like a special sort of. Uh, do you ever see Paddy Tally? On the TV, no. on the sailing, no. never see him. Right. Where do, do you ever see more when there's a Galway game on? No, there isn't it, no. No, two of them. They're cooking something up. Yeah, big time. <laughs> uh, that's why he's two great coaching today. minds, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, part one of the plan is in place, but they were, they were dreadful, and Mike's right. You know, that's... Uh, it's, it's very hard just to put that to bed, and especially, you know, within a week. You know, to put that to bed, that how dreadful a performance that was, to put that to bed get back up I mean obviously motivation won't be a problem coming up against the dubs but at the same time it has to ebb away at your confidence don't know why you would go into the game and do that well Kevin Welsh said that, that that of course they were trying to win the game but that in the back of the mind the back of the minds they'd already qualified and that the Hungary team probably won the match well, is that legitimate? You're already through. It's not. It's not like you want to lose, but it's it's hard to really get us fired up. I think a more legitimate thing is that Monaghan were were um, there was no questions in Monaghan's mind going into the game what they had to do and how they were going to uh, go about doing that. Their physicality, how they hit them, you know, really, really early on with everything that they had. So Monaghan dictated a lot of what happened, you know. And Galway weren't able to get to the pitch of it, and maybe they they tried a little bit towards the end of the game, but it was, but it was gone at that stage. And it was too late. As for the dubs, uh, so it's not a huge amount to analyse as always with uh, quarterfinals, except that a few young guns now are champing at the bit for a place. A young lad, Paul Flynn, was very good. Mike uh, Owen O'Gara, excellent as well. Bernard Brogan, never heard of this guy before, but he got a few minutes off the bench. Brogan's an interesting case actually, in that. I think everyone assumed that his season and maybe his career was over when he did his cruciate six months ago. Uh, it's a huge amount of rehab and uh, will that you need to get back from that sort of an injury. And he's he's doing all that with n- no promise of any game time, maybe a few minutes here and there towards the end of the championship. I suppose it just shows no matter how much you've won, if you're with a team as strong as Dublin are at the moment, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer to try to get back because there's almost certainly going to be a chance of silverware at the end. 
Yeah, I, I think that was that was the most noteworthy thing about the game. I, I, I actually, no, obviously the game I was watching the other game, but like that was that was an incredible thing. He, I think it was like twenty, was it twenty three weeks or something like that ago? He he had the operation and mm. he's back in the field. And like for a guy whose pockets are as heavy as his are with medals and all stars and accolades and you know every kind of a thing he could possibly find to have the to have the hunger and motivation to try and get back in with that group because as you said. This is a. This is likely to, you know, possibly go win and four, four in a row, and and who knows what they what they do next year. And he knows how how special it is and what kind of a time they have in at the moment. And it's just it's a real. I thought it was just a massive sign of his character, though, to be able to put the disappointment of having a potential season-ending injury and be back before you know in time for to play a championship game in quarter-final time. It's it's a, it's an incredible thing. And and like like you said, man, the time he must have put in on his own and yeah. and the support he obviously got from from their medical team and everything. That's, it's. Uh, I think it must be one of the quickest that we've ever seen to get back in, in championship football for that. Yeah, pretty good going by Bernard. Yeah, no, unbelievable. And you know he has a, he has a, he has a drive. And and don't be surprised if you know if ten minutes to go in an All Ireland final. I mean they've had Costello to come off the bench. You know to 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 make a real difference. Bernard probably offers you something a little bit different in that you know he has that cool head. You know five ten minutes to go in a game and. Just to have him sitting there on the bench and to I, have that in your arsenal is, is is massive. I know it's a bit corny as well and, and cliched, but I guess if you are one of those younger players who've, who've burst onto the scene this year, you're probably writing Bernard Brogan out of the equation. Suddenly, look at this lunatic, he's back. He, he's he's pushing for a place ahead of me. So it's, it does have to rub off on the younger lads as well. Yeah, and, and not even just in that way, but just in a, in a, just in a, you know, as a real good influence to have around the team for somebody to bounce stuff off. You know, for somebody to watch and train, and and obviously anybody who picks up an injury in that team, just look to him and you know and and see you know what what they are capable of. Jim Gavin has a few has given himself a few questions now over the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. Ono Gar is still an option, even though he yeah. he looks when he was interviewed on TV last night. He looks like somebody who's after gone ten rounds with one of the biggest heavyweights. Like he's just. He's bruises. Up, yeah. He's got he's got stitches. He's got all that going on, um, but he is somebody who still I still can have can have a bit of an effect on on this team. So Jim Gavin, yeah, he showed that he has lots of players at his disposal, but he's also given himself a bit of a headache as well. Nice to see Michael Darren McCauley stick one in the back of the net, Oshin. Stick it into the critics, and by the critics, I mean you. No, I think me and you uh, give him a bit of a wake up call to start of the year. And one si- of us, and one of us gave, one of us uh, criticised the physical shape that he was in around s- February, and s- March, and since that he has prospered. <laughs> <laughs> so keep listening, Michael Dara. <laughs> Oshin, brilliant stuff, Mike. Thanks, thanks so much. No matter, guys. He's stealing yards. He's stealing yards. He needs to get back. Get back. Who's going to be the man? Stephen Carson. Tom Carson. No, Tom. It's going straight to Kerry. Higgins now for Mayo. Comes back with Durkin. Good score, buddy. Bring it for Just over a minute left. Blow it up, Brett. Blow it up. We need to win this kick out. Come on, Mayo. Come on, Mayo. Come on. It's Kerry 214. Mayo 214. Kelly with kick out. Who's going to win it? Who's going to be the man? See you. Carson. Tom Carson. No, Tom. It goes straight to Kerry, man. Number six now, Ty Morley. That's with number eight, David Ford. Ford.
forward to Sheehan, it's just on. And Mayo Man's gone tight. No, it's a free for Kerry. A free for Kerry about 50 metres out. Oh, oh, this is heartbreaking. It's a free from Kerry right in the middle of the pitch. He's after taking, he should be going back further. He has stolen a yard or two. Watch him. Yeah. He's stealing yards. He's stealing yards. He needs to get back. Get back. We played five minutes, which has been a lot of injury time. Kerry 214. Mayo 214. Kerry to win it with Brian Sheehan. Sheehan. He oh, goes, go, yes, go, go wide. Go wide. Go wide. Go wide. Go wide. No, Mayo man gets him. It's still in play. That's yeah, there. Time. It's all over. Full time. It's all over. We're oh, going to have to do it all over God. again. What a what game. an absolute thriller. And credit to both sets of players. Credit to them for the effort they gave, for the passion they put into it, for the football they played, for the actual sportsmanship that was there, for the actual scores that they got. That game had everything that you want to see except a Mayo win. Right, folks, the Premier League is only a few days away. We are going to be building up to it on the World Service during the week. In the meantime, the SBL has already begun, Ken. I notice you're following this with more interest than ever now that Stephen Gerrard is involved, one of the more compelling figures in your footballing worldview. <laughs> How did he start at the weekend? Well, it seems like he's getting right into the mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, Gerrard uh, was disappointed, ultimately, by the last-minute equaliser his boys conceded against Aberdeen. They had been winning 1-0 uh, with 10 men after a harsh red card. I mean, harsh is one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is you usually get sent off if the referee sees you kicking out an opponent opponent off the ball. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a good way to get yourself sent off. Um, Gerard then said, and this is what I liked about it. I mean, whatever about the results, Rangers getting a draw away to Aberdeen with 10 men is actually not a bad result for, for Rangers mm-hmm. at the moment because Aberdeen have usually been finishing ahead of them. I mean, they've been second the last four years um, behind Celtic. So... They have been better than Rangers in recent seasons, so a one-all away draw with 10 men for most of the match isn't bad. <laughs> Which Jared was at, point, at pains to point out, well, you know, I'm delighted walking out of here, he said, with a face like absolute thunder. Um, we showed we were better than Aberdeen. You know, everyone watching that would know, knows we're better than Aberdeen, which is kind of like, yeah, but, but did you, though? You know, if you, if you when you don't win the match, hmm. And he also then complained about sending off and suggested that decisions are going to go against Rangers. You know, it's just the nature of the beast <laughs> up here. You know, so he's he's kind of right. Like this is day one. Yeah, day day one. He's already speaking like a Rangers fan. Speaking like a Rangers fan, talking about like number one, arrogantly saying we should have won the game when they didn't win the game, and number two, saying uh, that. I mean, who even are these guys? Aberdeen, never heard of them. Yeah, that the referees, the referees are against strangers. I thought, oh my god, this is only the first day. You're not leaving yourself much room to develop. I thought, like, what's going to happen here when, as this season goes on, you know, if it goes well, all right. But if it goes badly, or if it, if it sort of even if if it sputters a little bit, and also there was there was Rangers supporters um, singing. The usual Rangers songs, you know, which you're not allowed to sing technically, you know, legally. I just found myself wondering what's going to happen when Jared is forced to defend this. Like when when somebody first lobs him a question about this, what's going to happen then? What about are, they, are we talking about sectarian? Sectarian chance? singing, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, how is he going to handle that? Because I find him to be quite sort of artless in his presentation. Like he 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 sort of. Uh, I don't think that he's a very good actor, if you know what I mean. I don't think he's 
he, he may be trying to do a little bit of it, but I don't think he can really do it in the moment. He's no Kaiser, let's say. He, he's not like that guy. Um, so Not Franz Beckenbauer, but the Brazilian Kaiser. The, the, Bra- the Brazilian yeah. uh, Kaiser, uh, what was his name, Carlos Enrique Raposo. Not Valem Helm III or anyone like that. No, right. no, no, no. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I look forward to seeing what happens when that can of worms is lobbed into his lap. But uh, I suppose we've got we've got all that to look forward to. There's no separate football podcast today, but I think you should have enough to keep you going there until our Gary Neville interview lands in your podcast feeds on Friday. If you are looking for a little bit more football content, maybe direct you. You've probably already been directed to it, but the greatest post-match interview, certainly of this season so far, and uh, would take a bit of beating, I think, even in a more historical context. That's Marcelo Bielsa's. Mm. Post-match interview after, was it his first championship game for Leeds United? I really enjoyed it. Although I did think, you know, we were talking, Roy Smith had written that piece during the World Cup about Google Translate. I was like, this interaction would actually be more efficient using a phone rather than a human translator. I mean, at least that way, you know, the Sky reporter could speak to the phone. The phone would then display in Spanish, you know, what what was being said and Marcelo Bielsa. I mean, the thing is that he can actually understand a bit of English. Because I watched this press conference as well um, in which he didn't, as far as I recall, he didn't make the translator repeat back his own answers in English so that he could then say his own answers in English. Yeah, so this is what was happening in the interview if you haven't seen it. Reporter asked question. The question is translated. Bielsa then gives his answer. In Spanish. Yeah, in Spanish. To the translator. translator Whispered to the translator. Who whispers it back to him. In English. In English, for him then to say it back in English. So there was was too much going on there. The translator just needed to translate himself rather than going back. Although maybe Bielsa wants to learn English, so he wants to know what to say, then he'll say it back. One particular question, which is something like, you know, uh, you must, it was one of those typical sort of, you must be delighted with, you know, that 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 format. There was one about the, yeah, you must have been delighted with the fans Uh, here. You know, and the, the question was like one of those kinds of meaningless sort of, post-match questions yeah. and the you know so they conferred Bielsa and the translator for a while and you know oh what's this what's this? you know they they gave the answer back and forth until eventually the translator goes yes you are right and Bielsa turns to the guy after this this whole process has taken like a solid 45 seconds and he goes yes you are right and that's the end of the that's, that's, <laughs> that's the end of the answer <laughs> correct <laughs> great great question but um yeah I mean he obviously wants to say the say the um Say the answers in English himself, deliver them himself. Uh, He'll get there. It's admirable. Yeah, go for it. He's uh, maybe this is the way to to learn English. Yes, a little bit faster but I don't want to make it the same as though we're slagging Bielsa. No, no. I, I think anyone who tries a second language, I have a lot and, of respect and, and he can, for. He also can understand a bit of English. You could see that in the press conference because there were times when when the uh, when his translator was giving the answers in English, he actually corrected him because he was like, no, 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 I don't. That's not what I'm saying. Um, so he can, it seems to me like he kind of gets what's being said to him in English to a large extent. He's just uh, trying to put it together as a, in a spoken form. Leeds won 3-1 anyway. It's uh, it's pretty glorious news. Although I did see, I mean, did you see David? David Heidner had a good piece about Bielsa over the weekend in The Guardian in which he mentioned that Bielsa wants the players to be in training from nine to like seven or eight in the evening. <laughs> Sorry, I nearly spat out my tea there. I again. know, I know. That's a long old day. It really is. Like he, he had said, he... He he had uh, asked the players to to he worked out how long does a fan have to work the typical Leeds fan how how much does a typical Leeds fan have to work to you know, to earn the money to come to a match and he figured it was about three hours so he made the players all pick up rubbish for three hours so they got a sense of they asked him about this in press conference he said I, I do not confirm or deny 
as it is a private business. But this was this was the story that he's you know you got to understand what the fans are putting into for for us to you know to come and see us. This is what it means. Uh, but he also has like installed sort of sleep pods and think he's like look normal normal people don't expect to go to work and finish at lunchtime and, and go home. We're going to be here from nine in the morning till the evening. Like people who who work at jobs, this is work. We're here to work. Like he's going around. This is all in the same day of interviews. Like rubbing his finger on surfaces and like checking for dust. <laughs> I think that's. I'm not sure if that's a good sign, but uh, I do feel a manager who's who's asking his professional football players to work ten hours a day. You know, he he better be one hell of a he better have one hell of a charming personality because. Oh, that's that is a lot. That's a lot for anyone. Never mind a professional footballer to be expected to to hang out at the workplace. Right, Ken. Sounds like you've been working too hard this weekend. So listen, we're going to head on. You're going coming out with me for the afternoon, okay? We're going to head watch the hockey celebrations there Where, around Dame Street around three o'clock. Oh, really? Then we'll have, yeah, I've got a um, I've got a cocktail making class book for the two of us around six p.m. Mm-hmm. You in? Cocktail making class. Yeah. Is this with James Kavanagh? Could be Ken. I don't want to ruin the surprise entirely. Um, I'm just gonna say the cocktails will be delicious. It's a bit late though, six o'clock on the bank holiday, six o'clock on bank holiday Monday mm. to start lashing into cocktails. Oh, if you had asked me, if you'd asked me 48 hours ago, oh, if you'd asked me 48 hours ago, I would have said yes. But as it is, six o'clock on Monday, I'm kind of like, mm, ah, piss off. Maybe then. it's time for All me right. to go easy. See you on the World Service tomorrow. For News Talk 106 Sport, I'm Owen McDevitt. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.